Morning, everyone. Morning. You want to open your Bibles to Habakkuk? Habakkuk chapter 3. Have that there. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. Lord, we pray your blessing upon the word this morning. Would you speak to us, guide us, lead us? God, every person in this room wants to hear from you. All those at home. To hear from you, God. We surrender. Come, Holy Spirit, and be our teacher. Come, Lord, and impart to us that which would change us and alter us forever. We give ourselves to you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're a Christian, you're born again, just put your hand up a moment. Just give us a wave. Okay, praise the Lord. You should be one of the happiest people on earth. One of the happiest individuals walking around on that street out there. In your work, in your family, wherever you go, it should be known of you joy, peace, and certainly contentment. But you know what the truth is? (laughs) Many Christians are not actually happy. In fact, the truth is, that sometimes it's hard to tell the difference between Christians and non-Christians. Sometimes you meet a lot of non-Christians who can be even happier than believers. And I'll tell you something else. Unhappy believers, most of them tend to be the Pentecostals. Tend to be those who've got faith. Tend to be those who believe for great things. Because if you never believe for anything, you can't be disappointed, right? Right? But the type of Christian who's got faith and believes God for for great things in their lives, they're the very type that can also experience long periods of unhappiness, of disillusionment, of discontentment, because something doesn't happen that they're praying for, finances or a healing or whatever. And rather than us being known as the happiest people on earth, We can sometimes be known as, here's misery again, you know? And it's ironic that it's often those who who are spirit-filled that suffer that. The Bible acknowledges this, you know. God's not blind to it. It says it makes you sick. Not physically sick, spiritually sick. It puts it like this in Proverbs, the wisdom literature again. A warning, you see? Hope deferred, or a desire, actually. You can change that word to desire. If you've got a desire... You're believing for something, and it's deferred. It doesn't happen. It's put off. It makes you sick. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. And so Christians who aspire, Christians who believe for great things, need to heed the words of Solomon. Because he gives you a warning. Don't let that make you sick just because something takes time. When you pray, God hears your prayer, right? But it can take time. To answer the prayer, other people may be involved in your prayer. Some prayers, boom. But many things take time. I've heard you. Now let me deal with this person, that person, this situation. And it just takes time. And in that time, the Bible warns us that those of faith can get sick. Not physically sick, but emotionally and spiritually unhappy. And end up as a discontented people. And that's not, it's no good for us. It's, it's, it's grieving to the Lord. In fact, even if something, say you were praying for a healing, right? That example alone, do you know that we should rejoice while we're sick? 
Do you know that? It's actually a command right in there in Scripture. If you're poor, rejoice at all times, the Bible says. In fact, I think Paul thought we weren't going to get it, so he said it again. And again I'll say, rejoice. In every circumstance, no matter what seems to have gone wrong, don't stop rejoicing. Psalm 34 says this, I will choose, I will bless the Lord at all times. There will never be a moment that I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to fall for that. Right? Habakkuk 3, look at this. Habakkuk 3 and verse 17. He was going through a hard time. Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails, and the fields produce no food, though there, is, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the, in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. And some people, I, I thank God because, you know, I have a very weak testimony in this area. I can be a complainer and a moaner, and may God forgive me for that. But some people, like Job, really understand that there's never a moment in your life, never, no matter what's happened or what's looming over you, there's never a moment that you say, well, I can't praise the Lord right now. You actually can and should. A friend of Jeanette's called Dillis, she had a nine-year-old daughter and they went on holiday to Greece. And the daughter with another friend went out onto the balcony just to look out at the view and the balcony collapsed. And both girls fell and Hannah died. And they had to bring her body back home to Wales and bury their daughter. And Jeanette was close to Dillis, the mother. And a few months go by and um, she was just speaking with her. And Jeanette said to her, Dillis, did you ever blame God for Hannah's death? And Dillis looked and thought, what? And Jeanette said, did you ever blame God? And Dillis thought, you're what do you mean, ever? Of course I didn't blame God. Did you think that God had anything to do with the... Oh, no, 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 no. I thought, wow. Isn't that good? Isn't that a good understanding of your God? To know, even as Job said, if everything ends, even if I die, yet shall I praise Him. Because He's vindicated. Morning, noon, and night. He is not to blame the devil, right? So much blame goes on God for what the devil does. For the wrongs that are our own problems, problems we bring on ourselves. There is never a moment in life where we should not yet praise God. But we are a discontented bunch and can be, and I recognize that in myself and in the words of James Bond. The, the world is not enough for many of us. And we may say, well, you know, Christ is enough, is he? Nah. I don't know that Jesus is enough for many people. I mean, if we complain, Jesus is obviously not enough. Obviously, we're looking for more than that. But more than that is not the answer. You are more blessed than any previous generation. This generation that lives on earth right now. Do you know you, no matter how you know, poor you might think of yourself this morning, this is the United Kingdom, and we're, we're very well off. You have got more clothes, more food, You've got a nice TV. You've got a nice place to live, probably. You've got shelter over you. You are better off than so much of this earth at the moment, and you're certainly vastly better off than your ancestors. 
vastly. I remember being in Kelvin Grove Art Gallery where they have the train that used to carry the king around Britain, King George V's carriage, I think it's called. And I remember looking in the windows of the carriage, the bed that he would sleep on, the table that he ate off, the couch that he sat on. You would throw them out. <laughs> you live better than a king. But we, it's, isn't it easy not to see that? Isn't it easy to miss it and not see the great blessing of God? I want to talk about discontentment today. Being discontent in your life with what God's done for you or just your whole circumstance. I was studying this subject a few years ago, about 10 years ago or so, and I had a word from God. And this was the word. He said to me, contentment is the starting place, not the goal. And I had to go away and think about that. What? Contentment is the starting place, not the goal. And you need to meditate on that and take it in and think about it. You see, if contentment is my goal, the truth is I'll, I'll, I'll never reach it. Nothing you're ever going to do in life is actually going to make you content. But this is the deception. Some of you looking at me right now, do you know what you're thinking? When I get my qualification, then I will be content. When I get married, then I will be content. I'm on a journey to contentment. When I have this or do that, then, then, then. Well, I believe God spoke to me and you know, corrected that. Contentment is the starting place. It's not the goal. Nothing you ever do, have, or achieve is going to make you content. And the Bible puts this a thousand ways. My soul finds rest in God alone. In God alone. There is peace in Him alone. And we need to find that place to begin with. We need to find that now. And then, actually, whatever you do in life, you can enjoy all the more. And they're not false hopes. They're not vain hopes. As Solomon points out, vanity, vanity, all is vanity. We see life in a realistic hue. You know, the best ministry on earth comes from those who don't need to. The best ministry, be it worship leading, preaching, whatever, comes from those who actually don't need to do it. There's nothing worse than someone, you know, ministering to you who wants or needs to minister. Do you know what I mean? A place of contentment is a place that God can truly use. I remember when I first turned up in Ireland, I didn't know the city, I didn't know the nation, and one of the leading pastors there took me out for the day. His name was Fergus Ryan. And he's a very busy man, had probably at that stage the biggest church in Dublin. And he spent that entire day walking around the city. And at one point, I had to get away from him to cry. And he wasn't aware of it. What was I crying about? <laughs> I was crying because I saw in him such peace, such contentment, that with your schedule, and a pastor's life is busy, with your schedule, here's me. You don't know who I am. You don't know me from Adam. And you've got such peace and contentment that you're willing to sow a day into my life. I was impressed with that. The best ministry comes from those who actually don't need to. Contentment is a massively attractive thing to the lost. I worked with a chap in social services 
and one of the things that, 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 that caused me to be discontent with my life as a lost person was that I saw in him great contentment. At that time, I was drinking heavily. I was womanizing. I was doing anything I wanted to do in the search for contentment. It was always in another pint. It was always in another relationship. And I would come in with a, a sore head to work and I would sit down beside my friend who was a born-again Christian and he didn't need drink. <laughs> he didn't need any of that. He was totally content the way he was. And it started to get on the inside of me. It start, I started to hate what I was doing and long to have that inner peace. Contentment needs to be your starting place and mine. Turn to Ecclesiastes. You'll see Solomon's journey towards contentment. Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Sorry, chapter 2. Solomon, God uses and has given him to us as an example of someone who sought contentment in the world in every way but didn't find it. Ecclesiastes chapter 2 verse 1. I thought in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure to find out what is good. He's going to test himself with every pleasure on earth to see if he finds contentment. I thought in my heart, come now, I will test you to find out what is good. But that, but that also proved to be meaningless. Laughter, I said, is foolishness. And what does pleasure accomplish? I tried cheering myself with wine and embraced folly. My mind still guided me with wisdom. I wanted to see... Uh, I wanted to see what was worthwhile for man to do uh, uh, under heaven during the few days of their lives. I undertook great projects. I built houses for myself and planted vineyards. I made gardens and parks and planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made reservoirs and water groves to, uh, of flourishing trees. I brought male and female slaves and had other slaves who were born in my house. I also owned more herds and flocks than anyone in Jerusalem before me. I amassed silver and gold for myself and the treasure of the kings and provinces. I acquired men and women singers and a harem as well, the delights of the heart of man. I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me. In all this, my wisdom stayed with me. I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure, but my heart took delight in my work. And this was the reward, the reward for all my labor. When I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless. A chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. So then I turned my thoughts back to wisdom. Solomon is an example for you and I. He chased after many things. You know what he said to himself first? I will become a scientist. And he studied horticulture and many other things. Then he went on to the pleasures of the world, went on to many, many, many different exploits. But they were all meaningless, all a chasing after the wind. And the idea is for us, folks, that you learn from that and I learn from that that these things will not fulfill you. He went, listen to this. He studied science, horticulture actually, and found it was not fulfilling. He then turned to the arts and music and found it was not fulfilling. Then he said he collected artworks from around the world, but he got bored with that. Then he turned to entertainment and he had the court comedians, he calls them, but that, he got bored with that. 
Then he started business and he became extremely wealthy, but he found that pointless. Then he turned to pleasure. Wine, women, and song. 700 wives and 300 concubines, right? Then he turned to philosophy. He ended up back where he started. He said at the beginning, listen, you just read it. He said at the beginning of that chapter, I will give myself to foolishness and I will test my heart and prove to you who just read it, to prove to you that there is no contentment in that. That's why that page is in your Bible right there. And that's why Solomon went all through every pleasure known to man. And he says, who had more than me? I had more than all of you. So learn the lesson and do not be deceived. If the pleasures of this life could make you content, you see his point, then I would have been one of the most content people to ever live. But I wasn't. It's all a chasing after the wind. Nothing you can ever do, have, or achieve is ever going to see you through like that. So don't be deceived. We're doing a series on wisdom. And for the next few weeks, we're looking at finances, prospering through wisdom. And in order to do that, I don't want to start in the wrong place. I don't want you to think that as you prosper, that one day you'll have so much money that you'll be happy. Right? Now, can money make you happy? Yes. Well, listen, absolutely. Money make me happy. You give me a million pounds, I'll be very happy. Hallelujah. Money make you happy? No, that's a very religious answer. The truth is, yes, money, but... It's not a happiness that would last. It's not something that would keep you content. It's, it's like many of the other things that Solomon did and studied. It was a temporary thing and it cannot be your goal. It's fine to get you to your goal. We need money. We need loads of money. Because we have much to achieve as indeed he did. So there's nothing wrong with that. And money will make you happy. Amen. But not in any... We don't think of that the way the world thinks of it. No way. Okay? So take a lesson, learn from Solomon. I want to give you three other examples in the Bible, all of which are crucial for us to understand in order that we don't set out and waste years. I don't want to end up like this. Imagine you, hey guys, imagine you when you're 65, 75, doing what he's just done. And I've met a few like that, looking back and saying, pointless, my whole life. It was all a chasing after the wind. Remember, is Young Wei in Zian? Young Wei was a pathologist, lovely guy. He was here with us for a long time. And I knew him at a point of his life where he was thinking. You know, you meet someone when they're 25, they're very different when they're 35, you know. And he'd come through a few lessons. And he was telling me about his life. It's a very interesting story. And he said, you know, I was in school and you trained me up and studied in Singapore and you get, get a good qualification and that's what it was all about. I was going to be a doctor, you know. So I got, did very well in school and then I was going to be a pathologist. I thought that would be great. I've got this goal that one day I would get that. And I met him after he had been studying for 15 years and he was one disillusioned man. He said, here I am. What have I done? 15 years to become a pathologist and there's plumbers and this is true there are plumbers earning more than me plumbers that you can do a six-month course by the way in Bristol to do plumbing <laughs> yeah because there's a crisis for plumbers 
A plumber ends up after a six-month course earning more. You do 15 years. He was just a little disillusioned. You see, you can buy into the world system if you want. And mums and dads are terrible for this. Get a good qualification and everything will be all right. Read the newspapers. They're coming out of universities thick and fast. They can't get any work, right? Right in this day in which we live. Hey, get qualified. Study and study well. Don't hear what I'm not saying. What I'm saying is don't put your faith in it that in some way that there's some rainbow out there. There's some pot of gold here that you're going to be content when you get. That's the point of that chapter. It's to make, by all means, do your study. You should work well, get good jobs and be excellent in your work. But don't fall into the deception of thinking that that is going to make you, you know, in some way happy. Because it isn't. It isn't. And you'll find that out as you progress. Best to find it out now. Amen. So, contentment and discontentment. Contentment, that uh, discontentment, is the root of a very great deal of sin. In your life and in this world. Just plain old discontentment. Remember Adam and Eve again? <laughs> Here they are in the Garden of Eden. And they've got just about everything. They've got a perfect relationship with God. Probably had a lovely climate, right? They got the fruit on all the trees and everything is rosy. And guess what happens? The devil looks at them, right? And here's a couple who've got everything. Absolutely everything. And here's the devil. He's looking, he's thinking, how can I get them? What shall I do to ruin this and separate them from God? What does he come up with? Seeds of discontentment. He said, I know what I'll do. I'll point out to Eve the one thing that God said she wasn't to touch. So the serpent comes in and says, Eve, you see that tree? What was it? 999 trees in the garden that she was allowed to eat from. But one that she wasn't. Hey, Eve, you see this one thing? That's what you really need. If you just had that, man, you would be like God. And God is really against you. He's trying to keep it from you. And this woman who had been happy with Adam has her head turned. And you know what, friends? From that moment on, that tree becomes an obsession in Eve's mind. It's the, even though she's got everything and God being so generous, so kind, he prospered them mightily, gave them the whole earth to rule over. But the devil succeeded and getting her focus on one tree. You see, it's got to be a deception for you to be that foolish. He spoke to her and he sowed in her seeds of discontentment. And it blossomed into fruit, the fruit of sin, right? And I'm just saying, nothing new under the sun. It's exactly the same today. When people get discontent in any way, whether it's a husband who's discontent with his wife, the devil will cause you to look at another woman. Or a wife who's discontent with her husband, the devil would cause you to look at another man. Or a person who's discontent with whatever, with your job or anything, you'll start to grumble. You see, discontentment is the root of many sins that flourish in our lives. And we need to see the root and get it out. Amen. And we do that through taking in some of this wisdom from Solomon. Let me tell you something. <laughs> if Adam and Eve could be tempted, so can you. 
if Adam and Eve, who had everything, could be tempted to be discontent, believe me, you can. And it's the same devil playing the same tricks on us, the church, day after day. Do not be foolish, but learn from what we see right there. So firstly, learn from Adam and Eve. Secondly, I would say that the apostles shouldn't have fallen into the same trap, but they definitely did. The apostles fell into discontentment. Turn to John's Gospel, chapter 15. John's Gospel, chapter 15, a moment. Look at this. The apostles weren't content with Jesus. Jesus wasn't enough. John chapter 15, I'll read from verse 5. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really knew me, you would know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Listen to what Philip said. Look at this for discontentment. <laughs> Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. The word enough there is the word suffice or content, if you like. Show us the Father and we will be content. Show us the Father and that's all I really need. Just one more thing, Jesus. One more revelation and I'll be okay. Such is the cycle of any, you know, addiction, if you like. One more hit and it'll be fine. I just need that one extra thing. And we see Philip and indeed the other apostles probably here following a cycle that so many Christians follow. It's chasing the wind. You know, around the world, many times you'll hear of great revivals, and praise God for that. Many of them have been excellent. But every time I hear that Christians are flying from all over the world to this city or that, I always have a little caution, not a big caution, just a little caution to study what's happening. Because all of these events or these moves tend to fly the same flags. They tend to say this, or they tend to present this uh, draw, and it's this. We've found an easy way. We've found an easy way for you to live the Christian life. No more discipleship, it's okay. No more all-night prayers, it's all right. Just come, we'll pray for you, you'll fall over, and everything will be okay. <laughs> and they fly in from all over the world thinking someone's got an easier way than all this work I have to do as a believer, than all this struggle I'm going through. I doubt that. It's the same Jesus, it's the same church, and it's the same rule book. We still need to be disciples and we go through stuff to be and be changed in the process. The next thing that those big events around the world can often offer is a greater high, the very thing Philip's looking for. A greater high. And that's a dangerous track because then you're seeking experience and then another experience. Look, if you come forward here this morning and we pray for you and we lay hands on you and some great thing happens to you, you better not turn up next week looking for a greater high. Right? Because that's a chasing after the wind, as Solomon puts it. It was all pointless, but Christians do exactly that. They turn up and they want something greater next week and greater next week, and that's futile because you're chasing experience. It's actually the proof of carnality, not spirituality. You can see the truly spiritual person because they're content with simplicity. They're content with peace. They don't need the fanfare, don't need all the razzmatazz. They're content in themselves. And it was the devil who made Eve discontent, you see, by receiving something that God, she should never have listened. Contentment is the starting place. 
for our lives, for your life and mine. It's not so much your goal. It's not something you're looking to be one day because that's never going to happen. It's something I say, you know what? If I'm not content now, <laughs> I'm never going to be. I need to learn to be content now, just the way I am. And then all these things are fine. You can enjoy life, I think, a lot more, right? When, when, when contentment is your baseline, then you can just get on with it. First, Adam and Eve fell for this, and it's still an ace card of the devil. Secondly, the apostles didn't learn the lesson. They were discontent with Jesus. Jesus was not enough. And thirdly, Paul famously tells us in the book of Philippians, he says this, I have learned to be content. What did he say? Learned. Learned. And that tells me that Paul was discontent. He was discontent as a person. He couldn't help that little grumble. Grumbling about this, grumbling about that. And remember, he was persecuted severely. And he thought, this is not going to do. This is not going to work. I need to learn to be content. You see, you can learn to be discontent. And you can learn to be content. It's a lot to do with upbringing. If you grew up in a home, especially, where the mom or dad are negative and speaking negatively, you can pick that up. And you can then get a habit of being a negative person seeing the negative side of everything, and that's a disaster. You can learn to be discontent. It'll ruin your life. You take, don't take that to the grave, right? Shake that off. Get rid of it, if that's how you have been brought up. You can learn to be discontent, but Paul tells us that we can equally learn to be content. I don't think there's any easier way for the devil to wreck you, to ruin your life, than to make you a moaner, <laughs> a complainer, right? Very easy, because then you're just going to destroy yourself. It's going to be self-destruct. Yeah? So watch your speech. If he can get you to think it, next he'll get you to speak it, and then you're going to be it. Thinking, speaking, and then you're going to be that negative thing. Don't go down that road. A great caution we need to take in concerning grumbling, complaining, moaning about life. The caution is this. Why did the people of Israel spend 40 years in the wilderness? Why? Maybe 5% of the congregation know why. Everybody needs to know why. God judged the people of Israel and he said to them this, you will spend 40 years wandering in poverty until, but, but, because I heard you grumbling in your tents. They complained, you see. He had done great things for them. He had delivered them. He had brought them out of Egypt. He had blessed them. He had shown His glory to the world. And there they were out. They were in their tents. And it vexed God to hear them say, We want garlic. <laughs> garlic? They wanted the food of Egypt. That's what they said. We're fed up with this. We may as well go back. And something just flipped in God. He said, Right, that's it. Every one of you will die. None of you will enter the promised land because of your discontentment. And just like Eve and Adam got cut off in the Garden of Eden, so, you know, the apostles didn't learn the lesson. And it's all through your scriptures how grumbling and complaining can actually be, bring judgment on you. So just test yourself, folks. You test your speech, test your attitude. Is Jesus enough? 
Is Jesus enough for you? Or do you gripe and complain and moan and everything else? There's no way forward with that type of life. I, I tell you, I have changed a lot, a very great deal over the years. I was a worrier of the highest order. I could really worry well. <laughs> and that leads to discontentment. If you, if, you, if you worry, you will be discontent with just about everything in your life. And I want to say to everyone this morning, listen to me, please. You don't have to go on like that. You don't have to go on like that. And if any testimony has come out of my being over the last 10 years, it's changed. God has changed me. Things I thought would never change, changed. And I think, praise God, you can change. And now I would never dream of worrying like I used to worry. It wouldn't, it wouldn't enter my mind to do that. Problems are still there. But it's just you've learned through life not to do that. You don't, I, I don't have to do this. I really don't. I can just take another route by all things, in all things by prayer and petition. I can pray about it. That's what I can do. But there was one point not long after I was married that it's probably the lowest point of my life. As, as I think back over my life, I think this was probably the worst day I ever had. And we, would you come play for us, please? I was in Liverpool. We had been married about two years. Listen to this. And I, I'm not saying I'm feeling suicidal because I wasn't. But I was just about as depressed as I've ever been. And I'm in, I'm in Liverpool city centre. And the place is packed. It's a sunny day. It's a beautiful day. Loads of people around. And I'm walking down. And I don't know if you've ever had a moment like this. But I thought a bit like Solomon here. I thought, what's my life all about? Man, I'm a mess. And what have I done? What have I ever done with this life that I've got? I've done nothing. I've I'm an absolute waste of space. I'm, I'm telling you the truth. That's how I was feeling. It was the lowest point of my life. I walked down Bold Street and it was packed. And in the midst of the crowd, I started to cry and I needed to get away from the public. And I saw a little lane. I started to make my way to the lane. When all of a sudden, there was a voice cried out in the crowd. And the voice said this, Mike McKeever! I thought it was God. <laughs> but it was a Liverpool accent. I thought, God's a scouser? What? And the voice, Mike McKeever! And I looked around and I thought, what on earth is that? And through the crowd comes this extremely physical, demonstrative individual and grabs me. He says, hey, you know me? And I'm taking the tears off my face and he can see that I'm upset. I said, no, I don't know you. But then I remembered his face. I thought, I have met you. He said, you saved my brother's life. I, Did I? And there I am at the lowest point of my life. God's not blind. And God, no, he sees your whole being. Praise God, beginning, middle and end. And right there as I'm about to sink, Mike McKeever, a lifeline came. And that guy grabbed me and he said, you saved my brother's life. I said, what, what, when, how, what? He said, remember there was an event? And I said, he took me back and I remembered, I got it. There was an evangelistic event in a church in Liverpool. And we, we produced big tape sets in those days. One of them was a warfare series. It cost £17.50 per set. You know, it was a, 38 tapes or something like that. And all these people were at the event. We finished the event and there was this homeless guy came in at the back and he wanted one and they wouldn't give him one you see 
So the pastors, one of the pastors came up to me and he said, that homeless guy says he wants one of those sets of tapes. I told him he can't have it. He's got nowhere to live. He doesn't have a, you know, a tape recorder or nothing. So I told him no. I was busy with people. I said, for heaven's sake, give it to him. Then the man who met me on the street, his brother, he said, remember I came to you and I said, don't give it to him. And you said, give it to him. And in the end, I thought, who is this guy? Everybody's against him. I went back and I got his hat. I said, here, take it. And that guy put it under his arm and off he went. But the brother told me the next day he was at my door. I want a tape recorder. And he said, he stayed for days and days, pen and paper, and he worked his way through, 38 messages. He worked his way through that set. He got born again. He went to Bible college. And this was the punchline. He says, if you come with me now, I can take you. He's preaching in the middle of Liverpool. Well, I said, I don't need to go with you. I got what you needed to tell me. That just as I was about to sink, God comes along and slaps you on the back and says, look, it's going to be okay. And I don't care how bad your past has been or how low you might feel today. That's the nature of God. And he wants to reach you this morning. It's the devil who's the source of discontentment, not God. He tries to turn our head from all that God has given us that's so good and make you unhappy and miserable in your life. That makes you miserable and it's a dreadful, dreadful witness. Would you make a commitment this morning not to be negative? Would you turn, you know, cross a line and say, do you know what? Because I'm telling you folks, I have changed. Praise God. He stopped me worrying and took me out of that. Are you a moaner? And the nuts, but see, that's all the Are you a moaner? You don't need, yes. You don't need to leave this place like that. You don't. You can stop right now. You can make a decision and just say, that's it. From this point on, I'm going to praise God no matter what the circumstance is. And I think when you do that, something just stirs God in heaven and he thinks I will bless this individual here who chooses to praise me in spite of all. If you want to do that, why don't you stand up? Just lift your hands. We're going to have communion in just a moment. But let's just deal with this thing first. Lord, we want to get discontentment out of our system. It's evil. It's wicked. It has no place in the Christian life. Forgive us for complaining or moaning when you have been so good. We pray for ourselves this morning. We put the past firmly behind us and we receive the grace of God. Forgive us, Lord. Change our minds. Change our speech. And may we find contentment in God alone this morning. In you and in you alone. Give the wisdom, impart the wisdom to us that will take us all the way to heaven's door. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.